Good morning. I'm glad you all are here today, and you braved the rain. Thank you so much. I, I got to be honest with you. I woke up this morning, and I saw the rain, and I was like, woof, nobody's going to be there. But you came, so thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hopefully, you stayed relatively dry on this beautiful, rainy Christmas season day. All right, this is what we get. Now, I, some of you know this about me. If you're new, you may not, but I grew up in upstate New York, so they had a little snow recently. Uh, they had like, I remember I saw a video um, online where somebody in Buffalo, uh, which is where I grew up, somebody in Buffalo raised their garage door and it was just snow. <laughs> and I was like, I know that feeling. <laughs> I know that feeling. I remember one day in high school, I was uh, working in a music store. That's kind of where I started learning guitar because I had, was bored and had nothing to do and I thought girls liked it. So I picked up a guitar and a book and I started playing and it worked out. I got her. But um, uh, but I remember one day walking into work at, uh, at Mobile Music in Canandaigua, New York, and it was a, a storefront downtown, you know, like, uh, you know, plate glass windows, display windows up front and everything. And um, I walked in the back, and it wasn't too terrible in the back, but, you know, snow drifts. And so uh, I walked up to the front of the store, and I opened the front door, and it was just a wall of snow. <laughs> Just a wall of snow. And so I ran back to the counter thinking I might get a snow day. And I called my boss and I said, bad news, the door is completely blocked and there's no way we're going to open. And he said, there's a shovel in the back. <laughs> so that's the way. So sure enough, we were open that day. That's the way we roll. So I get a little bit, we've talked about this plenty, probably over, overly talked about it and made it into a bigger thing than it really is. But I get a little bit of a, a reputation of being a Grinch. But it's hard for me. Growing up in New York, we always had snow to sort of trigger the beginning of the holiday season. And we started bundling up and shoveling our cars and making snowmen. And that sort of triggered things for me. And since we moved to North Carolina, and that was 20 years ago, but since we moved to North Carolina, it's just hard for me to get going without a little bit of snow. So um, maybe I should take a trip or something. <laughs> but we've got the decorations up at the house. The tree is coming very, very soon. And for those of you that did it a month ago, we finally caught up to you. All right. So now we're all in this thing together. It's funny. Um, Christmas really is a season, which, which I think is, is interesting. It has blown up into this massive thing that's more than just a day or a single holiday, right? In the, in the church, World, I was talking about this with some some of the, our elders this week. But in the um, in the church world, we're expected to like celebrate the entire Christmas season. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, you're expected to start your Christmas series, and it's going to be like a four week series. And I got to tell you, every week, every year, I get to like, and I'm like. I just can't do four weeks of Christmas anymore. You know, there's just, I don't know if there's enough there, you know. But we get to Easter, and one week is expected for Easter. One week for Easter and four weeks for Christmas. And so maybe in my heart it's a little bit of resentment because that's a little out of balance, you know. Jesus told us to celebrate his death and resurrection. He gave us ways to do that, and maybe every week is Easter. Maybe that's the thing. But uh, he told us to celebrate that. He never talked about his birth. However, we know how significant this season is because this is when the gospel, the good news, was finally made seeable, visual in front of us when God took on human flesh in the form of Jesus, fully God and fully man, and he lived and walked among us and then gave his life on the cross for us. And the, 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 the Christmas story is the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. And so it's very significant. Now, we are not going to start our Christmas messages for a couple more weeks because honestly, I, that's, that's all I can do. And so we're, we have two more weeks of Romans. We got to keep barreling through Romans. All right, we've done 10 weeks in Romans. We got two more weeks. 
But I, let me tell you that if we talk about the good news over the next two weeks and we talk about our salvation and what Jesus Christ did for us, I don't know what's more Christmas than that. It's the best way to celebrate Christmas is to, to recognize and remember the good news of what Jesus did. Not just the baby in the manger, but the Savior on the cross and the Savior walking out of the tomb. All right, so that's what we're going to do for a couple weeks, and then we'll get to the Christmas series. Never you worry. And just to bridge the gap, even though next week's message won't be a Christmas message, we got the Christmas party on Saturday, so we'll just we'll scratch that itch and then get you ready for the rest of the series because we are learning about the good news. Paul is writing to the Christians who are in Rome. We've been walking through the Book of Romans. It's going to take thirty weeks to do that. We're walking through the Book of Romans. And the church in Rome, just to go back to some of the history we talked about early on in the series, the church in Rome has not formalized yet. There is no church. There's like no building where everybody's going to. Everybody's just meeting in people's houses spread out all over the the town. And so you have sort of local, almost like groups, small groups meeting in house churches, meeting in people's homes. And most of them are new Christians, brand new Christians. And a lot of them, the vast majority, are living in Rome, but they've come out of a Jewish background. And so they are trying, Paul needs to explain to these new Christians that are spread out all over the place in Rome where there's so many different influences. He's trying to explain to them how they live in this new reality that they're in. Because things have changed. They're no longer under the law. This is what we've been talking about so far in the series. They're no longer under the law, but they're under grace. And that not only changes their relationship with God, but it changes the way that they live every single day. This good news is is all-encompassing, and Paul wants them to understand, what do you do now? So he's trying to bring some centralization with this letter to these uh, groups that are spread out all over the place, make sure that their theology is good and that they're applying it the right way. That's what Romans is for. And so they're trying to learn how to live in this new reality. I heard a story about a farmer who lived in the Middle Ages. And he lived right along a river, and that river was the boundary or the border between two kingdoms. And so he was on the east side. I don't know which way is east. He was on one side of the river. It doesn't matter whether it was east or west. He was on one side of the river, and he would farm his crops, and he had a family, and he had a house, and he had his fields. But the king over that country, over that area, was ruthless. He was a tyrant. He was cruel. And so on a regular basis, the king would come and he would demand taxes of the man. Taxes, they, he would tell him how much it was or when he was coming. He would just show up, show up and demand tribute. And so he would show up. And then this king was also constantly going to war with other countries, with other lands. And so in order to do that, he would gather up all the people of his realm and he would force them to fight in his battles. And all they had to take with them was their, were their farm implements, with their pitchforks or their their uh, pickaxes or their whatever shovels I don't know what they had then all right so they would take their tools out into their axes they would take them out to battle with them and he was constantly forcing them to fight he was constantly taking from them he would be ruthless with them and throw them in jail if they even the least little word would defy him it was terrible living under his control and then one day a messenger came across the river in a boat. He said, the king on the other side of the river is not like the king on this side of the river. And the king on the other side of the river welcomes you to move across and live in his realm. I'm going to leave this boat here and all you have to do is get in it and go across. Well, the man debated for a long time because he had built up so much on his side of the river. He had a, his family was there. It's where their history was. It's where their mentality It's all he ever knew. 
And he didn't know what existed across on the other side of the river. And so there was some fear in going across. But eventually the pressure was so great on his side, the difficulty was so strenuous that he finally one day looked at his family and said, we're packing up and we're going across. And so they packed up everything they could and they got into the boat and they went over to the other side of the river. And on the other side of the river, they planted their crops and they had a a attractive land and they built a house. And the king there was good. The king there was loving. He was gracious. He never required tribute of the people. But when there were needs, he would tell them and people would contribute on their own to support the kingdom. He never made them go and fight battles for him. Though when there was conflict, they were welcome to join up and fight if they wanted to. He was good and he was kind. He treated people with grace and with mercy. And of course, the man thought, why didn't I do this a long time ago? (laughs) It is so much better on this side. But then one day, the other king came across. And he looked at that farmer and he said, farmer, you are mine. You've always been mine and you are still mine. And that king has no right to you. And so I demand tribute right now. And we are going to fight in a battle. And you're going to get in this boat and you're going to go back across. And you're going to fight this battle with me because you are mine. Now, what should the farmer do? What should the farmer do? That's what I want to talk about today. Because there are Christians in Rome that Paul is writing to who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. They have put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, but the old king has come calling. And how are they supposed to respond to that? What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to react? You and I, we are saved by grace if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. But guess what? The old life comes back calling. Sin comes back calling. And how should we respond? What should we do? Let's see what uh, Paul has to say. Romans chapter 6, we'll start in verse 12. Therefore, pause. What am I going to say? Right. Anytime you see the word, I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it because some of you might be new. If you ever see the word therefore, you always look to see what it's. Therefore, yeah, you got it. All right, good. It's going to be a broken record with this. It's very important. Well, what did Jeremy talk about last week when, when he preached? He said that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. It's about, our, and if, if those of you that some of your groups are still going, or if maybe you got the study guide and you did it on your own this week, to reckon yourself dead to sin. It's the way you think about yourself. It's the way you count account yourself. Reckon yourself dead to sin. So therefore, since we reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Paul is talking about what we let control us. What the king that we let reign in our life. Do not let sin reign in your life. Don't let it reign. Consider yourself dead to sin. This is the way you look at yourself in the mirror. 
okay? Consider yourself, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. This is about how we think about ourselves and what we are choosing to let reign in our life. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Under the law, sin reigned. One of the primary purposes or the primary purpose of the law was so that people could see they couldn't keep it. It was so that they would see that they are sinful and that they need a savior, that they are incapable of keeping a list of rules and saving themselves. Hear that clearly. You are incapable of keeping a list of rules and saving yourself. You can't do it. I can't do it. There's nobody alive right now for sure who can do it. The only person who ever kept that list of rules was Jesus, which is why he could give his life on the cross for us. But we are incapable of doing it. It's like a... Uh, the law, the sin, it was like, uh, have you ever gone to the, 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 um, the doctor or the dentist or whatever and gotten an x-ray done and they put that vest on you? You ever had that vest on? You know what I'm talking about? It's like lined with lead or something and it's just, it's, it's way heavier than it looks like it should be. And they put that on you. You can just feel kind of a weight. It's almost like it covers your sort of entire torso. You can feel your whole self just sort of sinking under the weight of that vest. That's what sin is. That's what the the reign of sin is in our life. It's like this vest. It's like this thing holding us down and holding us back. The law put that on people. And even today, even people who aren't under the, the, uh, the, the weight of the law, even Christians who are under grace will take that vest and will put it back on. It's called legalism. It's the idea that, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but now i got to keep it by how I live. Now I, now I have to follow all the rules because I have to, because, and it turns into a straitjacket. All right, we're not supposed to live under that way. We're not, we're not supposed to allow sin to reign in our life. We consider ourselves, reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And Paul here is like, if you have been saved by grace, if you're not under the law, but you're under grace, then why are you going? Why would you go back and let sin reign again? What business does a butterfly have crawling around in the dirt? What business does a person saved by grace have going back under sin? It's foolish. It's ridiculous. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. But that king will come calling. He said, Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Present your, he's, I think he's talking physically. I mean, this is how we use our hands and our feet and our, our voices and our words. And don't take this thing that I have, this thing that God has given to me, and present it or yield it or turn it over to the control of unrighteousness. Don't do that. He said, he said as instruments, this is a really interesting word because it means weapon. Okay. That's what the, it actually means weapon. This is the word they would use for their weapons of warfare. So present your, your instrument or you present your members as weapons of righteousness, not of unrighteousness. See, what, what we have, what God has given to us is a tool for us to use. And we're going to choose who reigns over us and how we use what he's given to us. If, just specifically, you know, our hands, our feet, our what we, our words, what we say, all that. It's a tool, and it's up to us. All right, it makes me think of this, okay? Jess is going to love this. All right, this, this is my pocket knife, okay? It's part of my EDC. I carry it almost every single day, 
I have a bunch of different pocket knives. I carry different ones at different times for different purposes, but this is the one that finds its way into my pocket more than any other, all right? I carry this with me because it's a tool that I can use, and I use it, and it's incredible. When, when you don't carry a knife with you, you don't realize how much you need it. When you have a knife in your pocket, you can't believe how much you use it. I, I use this thing three, four, five times a day, easily. Um, but I get to choose what I use this for. And I could take this knife, and I could use it. That's embarrassing. I could use it as uh, a weapon of unrighteousness. Because, I mean, a knife can be used for bad, for evil. I could use this to slash somebody, or I'm not going to, slash somebody or stab somebody, right? It could be used to deface something or to destroy something that's good. It can be used that way, right? Or you could use this for what I use it for, opening Amazon packages, <laughs> right? How <laughs> bad? I bet 50% of this nice use found its way into packaging material in one way or another. But I also use it. I cleaned up some of my, I had a loose fingernail earlier. I used my knife to clean that up. I, I cut strings off of clothes, use it to open packages, use it to cut rope or whatever else. This comes in handy all the time. It's, this, this doesn't make decisions. Okay? I make decisions for this. Your body, everything that you have is the same way. It doesn't make decisions. You make decisions for it. And we have to choose whether we're going to use this stuff as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness, still under that old king that'll reign, or whether we're going to use it as an instrument of righteousness for the glory of God because he is reigning in our life. And it all depends on how we see ourselves, how we view ourselves. He says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to sin, but the shall not is just like you shall not murder. It's future, it's, 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 it's uh, 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 what's, the, what's aspirational, okay? It's aspirational. You, sin shall not have dominion over you. You do not need to serve sin any longer. You can serve God, so allow him to reign because you're under grace, not under the law. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. <laughs> so the idea is, well, should we just go on sinning? Is it okay if we just go on sinning? Since obviously we're under grace, we're not under the law, so why don't we just go on sinning? He's, he's addressed this before, but he says, certainly not. And, and my translation would be, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> no, <laughs> of course not. Why would you want to? Why would you want to? Why would, why would we want to go back to that old way? Why would we want to go back and live under that old king? Yet we still do. Because maybe we don't know any better. Or we kind of liked things on that side of the river, right? Our, our goal, our desire is supposed to change because we are under grace. Verse 16. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are the one's slave who you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness 
and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now he uses this analogy of slavery and he actually sort of, well not apologize isn't the right word. He points out, he understands what a dramatic analogy that is. And it's dramatic on purpose. He wants us to understand what a stark contrast there is between these two ways of living. It is shocking. Um, D.L. Moody, great religious teacher, theologian, uh, quotes, this, quotes a woman, an elderly black woman from the South, uh, shortly after emancipation. And she says, Now is I free, or been I not? When I go to my old master, he says I ain't free. And when I go to my own people, they say I is. And I don't know whether I'm free or not. Some people told me that Abraham Lincoln signed a proclamation, but Master says he didn't, and he didn't have any right to. I understand the confusion, but hear me. She was free, and so are you. So don't let sin, don't let your enemy come back and tell you otherwise. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. It reminds me of... Um, Reminds me of the, the movie Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I don't know if I can recommend it or not. I can just say that Jess and I got engaged in the middle of it. <laughs> I paused the movie, got down on one knee, played her a song I wrote, proposed, and then we watched the rest of the movie. Um, she said yes before we finished the movie. Um, I but her, asked why you paused it. Huh? I also asked why you paused it. Yeah, she said, why are you pausing the movie? She was <laughs> very irritated. But anyway, um, it's a great time to propose, by the way, uh, when your girlfriend's uh, irritated. But uh, it reminds me of the movie, I'm getting back on track, it reminds me of the movie Shawshank Redemption because Red is a character in that movie and he's been in prison his entire life. Toward the end of his life, he gets out and he gets out into the real world and he realizes that he doesn't know how to be free. He spent his whole life in prison and that's all he's ever known. And so he gets out, he doesn't know how to function, how to operate in the world. When you've spent your life under the weight of sin, it's hard to know how to live free. It's hard to, it's hard to know the difference. And we are free. And we need to know that. We need to learn how to live in it. We need to learn how to walk in it every single day. How to reckon ourselves correctly and then how to act in correspondence with that. We are free to serve God and pursue righteousness. It's not forced servanthood. It's chosen. And we will either choose sin or we will choose righteousness or it will choose for us. But listen, the only power, if you are saved, if you are forgiven, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the only power that sin has in your life is the power that you give it. Sin is not your master. Sin is not your master. And now we may struggle and we may fight and we have things that we hang on to and things that we struggle to let go of, but we got to keep fighting with the knowledge that it doesn't own us. It doesn't own you. Let's keep, I love that he commends them. He commends them. Because he's given him this truth and he says, I am thankful that you got it. I'm thankful that you got it. It's in verse 17, that you obeyed from the heart this new pattern. So thankful for you. Having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness to holiness. That they made it their goal to be holy. Let's keep going. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, 
you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Now, of course, we know that sin is the reason that death entered the world, physical death, and, and the reason sin is the reason that we are separated from God for all of eternity, right? But when Paul talks about death here, we've been reading, we've been talking our way through this, we've been studying our way through this, and we know by now that when Paul talks about this here, he's not just talking about that. He's talking about death now, the experience of death now, seeing destruction and decay and frustration and fear and anxiety in our lives now. He said, don't you see that, that before you had the law, before you had the knowledge of righteousness, you would go and sin? Yes, but, but what, do you, what was the result of that? What happened when you were living that way? Can't you just, just from a practical standpoint for a minute, can't you look at people who live in sin and think about yourself and when you live in sin and see what happens? See the result of that? And he says, but now, verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, meaning they're changing things in their life and they're choosing holiness over sin, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And that's not just life after we die here on earth. That's life now. That when we choose holiness over sin, we experience life. And, And when we choose holiness out of joy and freedom instead of obligation and a rule and a weight and a command, when we choose holiness out of joy and freedom, then we experience life instead of death. It's, it's not, this is not rocket science. The reality is we can look at other people and see this as clear as day. And yet we ourselves will make other decisions <laughs> because of our own selfishness, our own desires, and all that kind of stuff. But we know it makes all the difference in the world. When I think about people in my life, and I think about people who I would say live a sinful life, or an unholy life. The consequences of those decisions and the life that they live is depressing to me. It is sad that they are choosing to walk in those things and wrecking their life in the process. And then I look at the people in my life that I would consider the most holy, the most faithful, in freedom, not out of obligation or legalism or whatever, but the most free and faithful people in my life. And I look at their life and I'm like, it's fantastic. And now may not, they may not have the most money, or they may not have the most power, or they may not have the nicest, you know, whatever as, as other people. But I look at their life and I see the peace in them and the confidence in them and the joy in them. And I can't help but so very clearly see the difference between those two paths. But then honestly, I look at myself over and over and over again, and I'm like, you idiot, why do you keep doing this? (laughs) And why do you keep messing things up? Well, this is part of walking in grace, is knowing that it was wrong, knowing that it was sin, knowing that we do need to make a change, and making the change and seeing the results of that. It's tangible. It's right in front of us. 
The fruit of this mentality and this action is holiness. And let me ask you as direct a question as I can, and I think what Paul is trying to say here, or what he's getting to, is your goal holiness? Is your goal holiness? The last verse in this section is verse 23. You're going to know it probably. If you've been around the Bible a while, you know this one. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a verse that um, I think is misunderstood, not in a bad way, but just in a slight, like a, like a two degrees off course kind of way, because Romans 6.23 is often used with a, a, the Romans wrote a plan of salvation, and it's used to say the wages of sin is death, meaning you're sinful and therefore you're going to die and be separated from God forever in hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that you can accept the free gift of Jesus and you can spend eternity with God in heaven and then in the kingdom here on earth, right? That's how this is usually worked. Um, but there's more here than that, and I think we know that by now. The way we've been reading and studying through Romans and getting to the point we're at, we know that Paul is not just talking about that. Not that that's, not that that's wrong. It's not a, I don't think it's a wrong way to use the verse because it is true. But there's something deeper and broader that Paul is talking about here. The wages or the payment of sin now is death now, is the experience of death now, destruction. That's when we get paid back. We sin, we get paid back. But the free gift, not earned, but given, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life now. And it's a gift from God. And we get the opportunity to choose between the two. Do I want death in my life or do I want life in my life? Am I going to choose to live under God's reign or am I going to choose to live under sin's reign? Am I going to choose holiness or am I going to choose my old way of living? There's a choice every single day that we have to make. All right. This verse is so much broader, so much bigger than it often gets credit for. It's about everything. It's about our whole life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every time I hear that verse used only in the context of salvation, it's like, oh, you kind of missed it a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit like uh, it's a little bit like Inigo Montoya in uh, Princess Bride. Vicini keeps using the phrase inconceivable. Right. And at some point, Inigo looks at him and he says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what do you think it means. <laughs> it's like you keep using that verse. I do not think it means what do you think it means. <laughs> right. It does mean that, but it's bigger. It's broader. It's about not only the choice we make for all of eternity, but it's about the choice we make right now. What, what do I want? Do I want the wages of sin or do I want the free gift of God? How do I want to live? How am I going to walk? All right. I actually did. I did. I'm not going to write on the board this week. Okay? Even though I put it up here, because I already wrote on, on the board to save us time and to make it legible. You're welcome. This was Alan Burkle's idea. He's like, you know, you could just write it ahead of time, and then we could read it, and we also wouldn't have to sit here while you're writing it. Appreciate that, Alan. All right, so here are the options. Let me see. make sure I get to the right page. All right. 
I know this has been helpful. We've been doing this. I didn't want to take a lot of time to do it, but I know this way of laying out what Paul says, because this is dense, that's the word one of the commentators used, um, is dense. This is helping some of you process it. And so you can, we'll leave this up here after the service. You can take pictures. We'll post, can we post it online? We'll take a picture and post it on social media so you got it. But here are the two processes as laid out. This is directly out of the passage that we just read. I see myself as dead to sin or dead in sin. I use my life for unrighteousness. I'm dominated by sin, filled with shame, and I experience death. All right? That's one path we can take. And then this is the, and the alternative. Is seeing myself as alive in Christ, using my life for righteousness, being delivered from sin now, being filled with holiness and experiencing life. And now you've got a choice to make, and so do I, but I picked this page. And uh, I need your help in holding me accountable to pick this page. And I'm willing to help you pick this page, too, if that's what you want. All right, we have choices to make. This is one of the most important things in our church. And so the reason that we say our goal is to know God, right, to find hope, to live free, and to do good. And live free is one of the most revolutionary things on that list of those three. I meet Christians all the time who are saved by grace and saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but are still walking around under a burden of a new law that somebody put on them. That's no good. And I see Christians who walk around knowing they are saved by Jesus Christ, but they are continuing to walk in their sin and constantly facing the consequences of their sin and thinking that there's no other way, not understanding that there's another way or lacking the discipline or the desire to choose another way. And one of the most difficult steps in our life as a Christian because of all this, in some cases because of Christian influences around us, is understanding how to walk free, how to live free. To know that I am free, I am saved by grace, I am forgiven. God is not holding my sin against me. But then also understanding that now I choose holiness and righteousness out of joy, not out of obligation. Not because a law that has been put on me or a rule or commandment has been put on me. But I'm doing it now because I want to prepare for eternity. Because I want to experience life. Because I want to become the person that he created me to be. So I'm not going to consider myself alive to sin anymore. I'm dead to sin. You're dead to sin. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's look at every part of our life that way. And walk that way so we can experience the life and freedom he created us for. And that's it. This is good news. <laughs> good news. You are free. No more walking around under the weight of our uh, condemnation of sin. No more walking around under the restriction of religious rules to keep us in line. We are walking in the freedom of grace, following the Spirit, and pursuing holiness to the highest levels. Now, I'm not there yet. I don't think that you're there yet either. I've heard you in the lobby. Right. We've, got, <laughs> we've got work to do. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing it together, okay? To encourage each other and move each other forward. And we need not only each other's help, we need the leadership of the Spirit. We need God to remind us and encourage us and enliven us every single day. 
And so let's go to him in prayer right now. Call on him for his help as we go through this together. Father, we come to you. And uh, first of all, we just want you to know how thankful we are for you. We just had Thanksgiving. Not a holiday you set up, but it certainly is consistent with the kind of people that you want us to be. People of gratitude, particularly for you and your love. The fact that you cared about us at all. Sinful people. People who, man, I just feel like a mess half the time. God, I feel like I, I know what I want to do and I can't do it. Keep, I do things that I, I don't want to do. And even though you look at us and in our sin before we were saved, you, you cared enough and loved us enough that you'd be willing to give your only son. Christ, that you would humble yourself and you'd be willing to come here and take on human flesh and live in this place. Face the kind of opposition, criticism, and all that that you don't, you don't deserve to receive any of that. And you faced all of it. The rejection that you faced, you did that willingly. And you did it for me. You did it for every person in this room. That you would be willing, greatest love ever shown, to give your life on the cross for us. People who can't earn it, who don't deserve it, can't make up for it, you gave your life for us. And because death has no control over you. You went to the tomb and on the third day rose again. And God, we believe that if by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, just as you raised Jesus from the dead, you raise us too. And that with him we are dead to sin and alive to you. That is a very difficult concept for us to wrap our mind around God. And we're learning. And we thank you for your grace as we learn. But our goal is to present our life to you as an instrument of righteousness to the end holiness and so I got God I ask for all of us in the room that if we in this moment if we make a commitment to holiness that you will root out that you will weed out anywhere where death has a hold on us where sin has a hold on us anywhere we've let it grab back on that you would show it to us clear as day right now. What is, what is my sin? What is our sin? And that you would let us look first at it and realize it does not own us. And that we have a choice. We have a choice between hanging on to that and hanging on to you. And I ask God that you walk with us and lead us as we make that choice. Pray that you use us together. You show us each 
what support we need, what accountability we need, where we need to confess things to you, where we need to confess things to each other. And as we confess, to repent, to change our mind and to change our direction and to say, I am dead to sin and I am alive to you, God, in Christ. And so I will walk with you and pursue holiness in my life. And as we do that, God, we pray that you are honored by that, that you are glorified by that. And that as we go through this season and we start making some of these changes and we start making some of these choices, that it would overflow, it would overflow out of us to the people that we care about, that they would see it, that we could discuss it with them, explain why we're doing it, and that they might see a different way. They might see a different path. And so, Father, work on us. Change us. So that we can walk and live the way you want us to, the way you designed us to. To walk in freedom. To walk in confidence. To walk in the everlasting life that we have. All honor and glory to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.